despite all efforts to put a stop to it, modern-day slavery is still very much a problem in global supply chains. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's comforting to believe that slavery is a thing of the past, but that's hardly the case in supply chains today. Between 17 and 21 million workers are currently living in slavery conditions around the world, and many of them are in places where we might not expect to find them. On this episode, we learn how prevalent slavery still is in supply chains with the help of Joe Walden, Associate Teaching Professor in Analytics, Information, and Operations Management at the University of Kansas. We'll discuss the anti-slavery regulations that are already on the books and learn why they haven't yet managed to wipe out this scourge. And we'll discuss further actions that need to be taken to put a stop to it once and for all. Here's my conversation with Joe Walden. Joe Walden, welcome to the show. Thank you. Joe, in your new article, Modern Day Slavery in Your Supply Chain, let me read out your definition of slavery in the supply chain in today's environment. It's being forced to work in a job that you either are coerced to work in, not paid to work in, or held in an environment where you don't have a choice but to work in. That seems to pretty well sum it up, but there are multiple types of slavery in supply chains today, are there not? Could you help us understand what some of those different types might be? There are. There are several types of slavery out there. Some of it's just absolutely forced labor in some parts of the world where folks are just forced to work without any choice. Some of them are like indentured servants that we are familiar with from history, where mm-hmm. promised a job, but then they're also kept in the same compound. Foxconn had that problem several years ago where they were forcing the workers to stay on the compound where they were working. They all of a sudden had a huge attempted suicide rate, but it's the only way they could escape the confines of working in the in the compound. Yeah, the famous yeah. nets that got put out for that purpose. Right. Yeah, remember that. Instead of fixing the problem, what puts the nets out so you can jump into the net and you won't get kill yourself? It's not perceived to be forced labor or modern-day slavery because you're getting some kind of wage, but it's it's such a cheap wage. They don't have an option. They've got to work there. And Mm -hmm. I think it kind of falls under the same definition of forced labor or indentured servitude. The indentured meaning you might be paying off a debt that you may never pay off, but in the meantime, you're kind of trapped in that job, right? Exactly. And bonded labor, uh, to be distinguished from that as well, can you tell me a little bit about what that constitutes? I think those are folks that have been assigned to a job or have been hired for a job, and they can't leave. They've got some kind of almost similar to indentured labor indentured servitude, where they have paid to get this job, or they paid to be moved from one country to another country for a job, and they get there and they're stuck in the job, again, paying back the debt or working in for a certain number of years until they're free of their obligation. In a lot of cases, their passports are confiscated, so they can't get out of the country. Correct. And they're forced to money they make, Bob. They're forced to then spend that. It's kind of like the old mining camp where you're forced to spend it at the company store. Raise prices so they're not making any money at all. And then, of course, there's the issue of child labor, which I guess does in its own way fall into the category of modern-day slavery, does it not? I think it does in some cases. In some cases, it's almost like voluntary child labor because you've got some countries where 
if the kids don't work, the family doesn't eat. But it's still, they're, they're forced into the program where they've got to work to feed the family. And again, they're not making any kind of wage that's of, of any value. So, Joe, as you research this article, I'm wondering if there was anything you learned from your research that surprised you about modern-day slavery and supply chains. When I first started reading about it, and I started reading about it while I was in Europe this summer, I saw the laws being passed in the European Union and within Germany to try to identify these problems. I said, oh, this sounds sounds interesting. And you started looking at the numbers. My first thought was, well, yeah, this is a problem, but I'm not sure how much the problem is in the supply chain and how much of the numbers we're showing is forced labor or modern-day slavery is in the sex trade. I was mm. amazed to find out the magnitude of the numbers in today's supply chain. And those numbers are, by your estimate, what, between 17 and 21 million worldwide workers? Is that right? Correct. Correct. And that is, of course, just work environments. It's got nothing to do with the sex trade or anything like that. These are actual working situations. Correct. What countries do you find the problem most egregious or regions of the world? There's a couple of regions in China, and our government's kind of identified those. But I was amazed when I started doing the research how much of it actually is in developed countries. Great Britain, for example, has got a huge problem according to their statistics. And that's not what you kind of expect from that country. And, and the European Union appears to have a huge issue. And we consider you know, the majority of the European Union as developed countries. So that was kind of a shock to find out that it's not just developing countries, but it's also in the developed countries. I'm wondering in the developed countries, would that be largely situations where the workers are immigrants and their papers are such that once again, they're trapped there? They can't move. They can't migrate anywhere else until the job is done, if indeed the job is ever done. I think it's what's driving it in Europe and in, in Great Britain, because the number of immigrants they're seeing inflowing into the, the countries. Hopefully we don't have that here in this country, but with the number of immigrants we have coming in, I don't know if we have that problem here or not. I would hope we don't, but I think we, we may have. So we in the Western developed world cannot afford to be complacent saying, oh, yeah, well, that problem happens elsewhere. It's Asia, it's Africa, it's the like. It's it's almost virtually in our own backyards as well. It is, and it's. I think part of the problem is people look at their first-tier suppliers, the tier one suppliers, go, oh, well, they're, they're good. They don't look down at the tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers and see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I don't think a lot of supply chain professionals really know what's going on in their supply chains as far as slave labor. I want to get more into that idea of the multi-tiered supply chain in a moment, but I first want to ask you, you alluded to the German anti-slavery rule. Where are the big regulations right now? There are a number of them in effect around the world, are there not? Can you cite some of them? Yeah, I think probably the three biggest is they've got one in the UK, they've got one for the entire European Union, and Germany not being satisfied with what the European Union was doing actually passed their own this year, mm -hmm. requiring companies, over 3,000 employees, to actually map the supply chain and see what's going on in the multi-echelons of the supply chain. Our Congress passed a law for that one section in, in China, the, I forget how you pronounce it, the Uyghur region, wherever it is. Uyghur, I think. Uyghur, yeah. yeah. We passed some legislation focused on that, but not focused on everything else in the supply chain. So it's almost politically motivated as opposed to, let's fix the supply chain. And even the United States at the state level, California, has taken action, has it not, separately? It has. And it's unfortunate we don't have a countrywide regulation like the European Union or Germany or, or the U.K. has. Yeah. To say, hey, you need to map your supply chain. What are they doing? Well, you would hope that that's the sort of thing for which the United Nations was formed, and yet it doesn't seem to be taking any broad action on this score, is it? No, I think the United Nations is 
I mean, they've really lost their credibility and their leverage, I think, in, in a lot of areas, which takes away from some of their ability to actually solve some of these problems. But you're right. That's one organization that should be looking at what's going on worldwide and saying, let's fix it. Well, here's the frustrating part, and is indicated in your article. I mean, certainly we are seeing a number of regulations popping up that are an attempt to stop this. And yet the numbers from 2016 to 2021 went up, <laughs> even as regulations came into being. How do you explain that? I don't know if because we're getting more attention and more people looking at trying to figure out how big the problem is, or it's just the fact that we have such pressure in the supply chain to keep prices down. I'm almost afraid in some cases we're just turning the blind eye to what's going on. It's not my tier one, so I'm okay with it. Even as the pressure grows to do something about it. Yes. There are certainly no lack of also corporate ESG, environmental social governance, DEI, diversity and inclusion initiatives. They are on the books. Is it kind of the human rights equivalent of greenwashing? Is it just lip service or are those corporate initiatives actually have any teeth or effect yet? You know, Bob, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think it's a combination of the greenwashing and we've got it. We said we're doing it. We have a corporate statement about it. Have a nice day. Yeah. It's almost like some of the goals for climate change. They're for 2050 and 2060. So we'll achieve them by then. So we have goals as far as eliminating forced labor or controlling it. But the goals are so far in the future that it's not really effective right now. Let's talk specifically about the Uyghur situation in Xinjiang province, because you could argue in some cases that you know, human slavery in the supply chain is hidden. Not the case here. The spotlight has been on the Uyghurs for several years now. Everybody knows it's happening, and it's still happening. I would think that once you turn over the rock and see it, you should be halfway to solving it, and yet no. So just knowing it's happening doesn't seem to have that much of an effect. No, it's not solving the problem. We admit in so many cases that it's an issue, but as long as I keep getting lower prices in the supply chain, then I'm going to gloss over the fact that the lower prices are coming from forced labor. Well, as you yourself just said, in addition to the desire for lower prices, the problem is that of inadequate visibility across a multi-tier supply chain. Can we really achieve that level of visibility? Is it something that can happen? Because as you get into second, third, fourth tier, as you get to the farms, you get to the mines, you get to the raw material production, I wonder in some cases whether it's even possible to get that kind of visibility. Are you optimistic that it is? I think it is. Some companies are doing it. I mean, if you look at, at Disney, they go down and look at their tier one, tier two, tier three suppliers. And several years ago, they got rid of a like a tier two, tier three supplier because they weren't following Disney's ethical standards. And then went back to do an audit the following year, only to find out the new supplier didn't have the capacity. So they outsourced the part of the manufacturing to the old supplier. Hmm. Now there's people that are, that are blacklisted by Disney. Yeah. So some people are trying to do it. It's not an easy task. It's something that's going to take a lot of work and dedication and dollars, which companies don't want to spend. But it's a task that should be done and should be done very, very carefully and very, very detailed to make sure that we know what's going on. Well, it's interesting you should bring up Disney because Disney is all about brand, right? And I can understand how they would feel like that kind of thing would seriously harm their brand. Is that an incentive for other companies to take real action? Do you believe that brands are challenged, that reputation is challenged when companies are revealed to be, other than Disney, are revealed to be engaging in modern-day slavery? I would hope so. 
I would hope that, that the companies are like, we don't want to fall in that, that category where we're guilt by association. It's kind of like, I don't know, what was it, like seven, eight years ago, yeah, they had that factory fire in Bangladesh where yeah. the doors were chained, locked inside. Workers couldn't get out. Well, you had an entire factory collapse because yeah. it was so poorly built. The roof collapsed. Yeah. And, yeah. and so they had several instances there where and they couldn't get out because they were chained, the doors were chained from the inside so they couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. It locked shut. And several companies were implicated, even though that wasn't their tier one suppliers. A couple of companies were, were implicated there, but nothing's come out of it. Certainly a lot more corporate statements have come out of it, but maybe not in, in terms of having any real effect. I also wonder, Joe, you know, we, I just, we just mentioned how the numbers of, of people in slavery nominally appeared to go up from 2016 to 2021. I'm wondering if the last couple of years of that time span was during the COVID-19 pandemic. Could it be that modern-day slavery proliferated during that period because of the inability of companies to physically visit facilities during the lockdown? Do you think that that fed the human slavery pipeline a little bit? I think it contributed to it. Yeah. You can't physically walk the process and see what's going on. i got to take your word for it that you're not doing that. But I can't come out and check it. So I'm sure it has some kind of impact on it. We talked about brands and the implication there that the only reason why you'd want to protect your brand is if you feel that the consumer cares. <laughs> I guess in some cases that is the case. But that's only like one of a trilogy of parties that need to care. We need boards of directors need to care. Investors need to care. Do they? Do you see a wide scale awareness out there among those entities in a commitment to eliminate human slavery? Again, a lot of statements from companies, from their boards. I don't think the Joe average consumer knows this is going on. It doesn't get any publicity in the mainstream media. It doesn't get any publicity on social media. So half the people don't know what's going on anyway. I don't think the average consumer knows that there's this magnitude of a problem in supply chains. And I'm not sure then because of that, I'm not sure that a lot of corporate board members know there's this kind of problem going on. But Joe, even when they do know, Like, if I buy a shirt and the label says made in China, I know what's going on in Xinjiang province, but I don't know whether that shirt was made there or not. And so the labeling isn't helping me, even if I think to myself, I have an awareness of human slavery around the supply chain. I'm not equipped with the proper information to be able to take part in this. That's true. But again, if mainstream media at least started talking about this issue, then at least consumers start thinking, hmm. I wonder where it came from. I mean, at least yeah. after COVID, everybody started thinking about the supply chain. Oh, there's issues in the supply chain. So now everybody's like, oh, how come the supply chain's not getting fixed? Because it came up every day in social, if nothing else, the only good thing that came out of COVID was everybody became familiar with supply chains. And all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, for sure. because that publicity, everybody wanted to start fixing their supply chain. So if we get some publicity in the mainstream media about the magnitude of modern-day slavery in supply chains, Consumers are going to start saying, hey, investors are going to start saying, hey, what are we doing here? Are we involved in this? And if so, how do we get out of it? So other than, I mean, so that we don't just sit around wringing our hands over this terrible situation, what do you come out of having done this research and written this article as being the key solutions that need to be implemented in order to really address this problem? I think there's two key solutions. One is we've got to get more awareness of what's going on in supply chains both from the consumer, from the supply chain professionals, from corporate boards, from investors. And then the second piece is 
we've got to actually quit talking about it and start doing something. Got a lot of hot air going on about it with all the discussions, mm-hmm. all the B letters and all the policies and all the ESG policies. And we got to quit talking about it and actually start investing some time and money into physically walking the process. What are you at tier one doing? Okay, now you and me at tier one, we're going to go to see tier two. And then you and me at tier one, tier two, we're going to go see tier three. And we're going to walk to the end of the supply chain until we get to the guy picking cotton in Arkansas. Well, I certainly hope we have done more than contribute to the hot air in this conversation. And certainly your article is definitely a wake-up call, modern-day slavery in your supply chain. I like the use of that word, your. In the Advances in Social Sciences Research Journal, I will link to that article in the show notes to this episode. But in the meantime, Professor Joseph Walden, thank you so much for spending time with me to talk about this critical issue. Well, thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with Joe Walden of the University of Kansas, talking about modern-day slavery and global supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter or X, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.